0: All right now for our first message, Mr. Reg Nolan with his sermon entitled Unto the Third and Fourth Generation. Most of you know I have been teaching at least part-time since 1976. Just under 40 years. The last 25 of which have been at Booker T. Washington High School and the last 15 of which have been in the same classroom. I'm afraid that I have become part of that institution. For now, several of my colleagues are my former students and I am now teaching the children of my former students as well. I call them my grand students, if you will. Indeed, I have become a generational teacher. During this time, I have noticed that the behavior, the attitudes, the work ethics of the students cycle in ways. Some years, I will have dream classes of students who are respectful, intellectually curious, ready and willing to learn, ready and willing to be taught, that's two different things, and with good work habits and ethics, so they are a joy to teach, and I look forward to each day with them. In other years, students seem to have been handpicked by Lucifer himself to torment me. Um, disrespectful, defiant, destructive, intellectually dead, academically apathetic, with little or no work ethic or moral. What scares me even more is that Boogerty T. Washington population is supposed to be the top tier of the Tulsa students. So it scares me to think about what's going on in the other uh, districts or within the school, or the other schools within the district. Uh, It then occurred that such typical behavior is much like the behavior of the people of ancient Israel. When a God pronounced a blessing or a cursing upon the people, proportional to how well they kept his law, the blessing or the curse did not only apply to that person or to his generation, but remained in effect until the third and fourth generation. Why is that? Did God just want to extend the duration of the thrashing? Or was the extension the natural consequence of learning? We learn many things from mythology. From ancient Greek uh, tragedies and from the Athenian legends in particular, we learn the lesson that the land and the king are one. That is to say, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. For the masses are too often like sheep that will follow their leaders without questioning them where they lead them, even if it's off the edge of a cliff. It is the duty of every member of the flock to question the wisdom of a leader if he departs from the way that God has shown him and rebuke him if he does so. First privately, then in the presence of two witnesses, then publicly if the need still exists. Princes, prophets, and priests can have great influence over the people. Hence, God holds leaders and teachers to a higher standard of ethics um, since their misconduct could lead others astray. However, this does not excuse the people from blindly following a leader. The excuse, everybody is doing it, Holds no sway with God. In a sense, princes, prophets, and priests are like father figures. Tomorrow's uh, Father's Day, so this is somewhat uh, supporting that idea, but it's not directly related to fathers in particular. In the sense, these princes, the prophets, and the priests are like fathers figures, though, for a nation so that their misconduct brings the curses not just on that generation, but on generations to come. Consider God's warning, stated in the second commandment, when he's talking about the idols. In Exodus 20, verses 5 through 6. Okay. All right. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. He repeats this warning in the presentation of the second set of the Ten Commandments over in Exodus 34, verses 5 to 9. Okay. And the Lord descended into the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, this is Moses that we're talking about here, and proclaimed, The Lord thy God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgression and sin, and um, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. And Moses made haste, and bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped, and said, "And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let thy Lord, my, I pray thee, go am- among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. This persistence of a blessing or a cursing beyond the immediate recipient is not all that mysterious, really. It's really just a matter of education. As children, we learn from our parents and other grown-ups in our lives, and we imitate them in language, mannerisms, facial expressions, behavior, and attitudes. I remember a few years back, I was uh, in the Certain found myself in a certain situation and felt on my face the expression that I had seen on my mother's face so many times before. I knew exactly where it came from, what the source of it was, but it really surprised me that I had assimilated it because my mother and I didn't really all get get along that well. So uh, it's rather interesting that I had assimilated that piece of Her characteristics, her mannerism. Yes, children are like little recorders. And sometimes the playback is rather shocking. We learn a great deal about ourselves just from watching our children. I've heard my students echo back to me a word or phrase that apparently I repeat a bit too often. And it has become now part of their repertoire. How many parents have heard their children utter a word or phrase and wonder, where did that come from? Have you been there? Uh, only to realize that the child was mimicking a parent or other adult in the child's life. We have to be, to be careful of the environments to which we expose our children, especially before they a- reach the age of five, when they have not yet developed filters. Uh, their little brains consider all the input that they hear, see, or otherwise experience as equally valid input. And the same input repeated over and over and over becomes a stable pathway in the brain. So regardless of what they're exposed to at the young age, they don't distinguish between good input and bad input. All input is equally valid. All input becomes then part of their, their experience. Okay, so be careful then, particularly about using the idiot box as a babysitter. Proverbs uh, 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he's old he shall not depart from it. So parents then have a responsibility to train the children to walk in God's way and to guard their little minds from as much evil as possible. But this learning is a shared responsibility, a two-way street, for the child has to also have a teachable spirit. Proverbs 13.1 A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 15.5 A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15.32 He that refuses instruction despises his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. In each of these cases, the, the injunction is upon the one that is receiving the instruction here as well. So you've not only got to have parents who are willing to teach the material and to model the material, but you also have to have children willing and ready to learn the material as well. I have seen parents who make a good faith effort to teach their children the way of God. But the child seems to have this defiant, rebellious spirit in him that resists correction and seems bound and determined to do the opposite of what his homeschooling has been. Scripture calls such children stiff-necked. We call them teenagers. Some defiance is actually a good thing, For it indicates a strong will, ambition, and a desire for independence. These are characteristics of leaders or successful people later in life if they can learn to channel that defiance into a positive outlet. But remember, though, there is always that carnal nature lying just below the surface in any child. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. In fact, it's not subject to the law of God, it's not subject to the law of man, it's not subject to the law of parents. How many children are defiant simply for the sake of defiance in itself? So, let's now, we've got the the layout set before us. Let's imagine the ideal situation. Parents are rightly training their children in the ways of God. Children are willing to learn without becoming threatened or defensive. Then those children would would then teach their children the ways of God, including the injunction to train up a child in the way she should go, who in turn would then teach their children the same lessons. What will happen? It has a chain reaction effect. It has a cascade effect. The blessings of that family line could go on generation after generation after generation so that as Proverbs 17:6 tells us, children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. Okay, now let's imagine some less than ideal situation. The parents need not be overtly evil. Rather they're just too busy overextended with the cares of making ends meet to give the child the attention, the love, the training that he needs. Such neglect can also have a cascade effect. Perhaps the parents are using a tag team approach, handing over their children to someone else or to a child care institution while they work, make time for one another or recuperate after too much closeness. When they do so they surrender the programming of the child's mind to the will of that guardian, whoever it may be so that they had better be sure the guardian has the same values and beliefs that they do if they do not want to avoid any kind of cognitive dissonance in the child. Perhaps the child rules the household so that the parents are hesitant or afraid, given the perversion of the day's uh, child abuse laws, to correct the child, never realizing that failure to correct the child may do him much greater harm in the long run than would come from a temporarily sore behind. I know that I got my butt thrashed more than a few times, uh, on, on, and I was no worse for the wear of the day. In hindsight, <clears throat> um, those episodes, episodes now make for some very good stories. Okay. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, He that spares a rod and hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. Proverbs uh, 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he corrects, even as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Now let's imagine the worst scenario. The parents are truly evil, corrupt, abusive, amoral or immoral, criminal users of other persons for personal gain. Children read in such uh, such a hostile environment, even if they survive to adulthood, quickly learn some lesson, very, very hard lessons. That might makes right. That people are property and pawns to be used to advance one's own purposes. That uh, laws and morals are restrictive and meant to be broken. That strength, power, and fear are greater than meekness, sacrifice, and love. That winning is everything, and the spoils of victory go to the strongest are the most dangerous that power wealth and fame are the measures of success that life is short and cruel, so eat dessert first okay? that the life that the ends justify the means that politics and righteous, er, politics not righteousness is the path to power now this such malevolent programming is self perpetuating for the child becomes as evil as his parents as his role model. It is no wonder then that the kings of northern Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, were all wicked. From Jeroboam through Omri and Ahab to Hoshea, and into captivity. Not one of them is righteous. Not one of them. How could they be when patricide or other kinds of murder was a normal path of ascension to the throne? Thus, through modeling behavior, the curse that it was incurred by the father, becomes incumbent on the son. Through modeling behavior, the curse that was incurred by the father becomes incumbent on the son. Rare is the son who can defy his father's evil and do right in the eyes of the Lord. The ancient kingdom of northern Israel had none of them. The southern kingdom of Judah had eight out of twenty kings that were considered good, and in many cases even the parents even when the parents were evil, there was an influential grandfather, a priest, or a strong woman who was the, the salvation of the child and hence the postponement of the curse on the nation. In each one of those cases, you have one of those three things. A strong grandfather, a, a priest, or a strong woman helping that child along. So that he became a, a good king instead of an evil one. Proverbs three thirty-three: The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. However... All it takes is just a little inattention, a little shirking of the responsibility, and that carnal nature that lies just slightly dormant and all children will rear its ugly head. From about 835 to 736 B.C., Judah had a run of four good but not perfect kings. Joash, who began reign at age seven under the guidance of his mother uh, Zibiah of Beersheba and high priest uh, um, Joadah and uh, Amaziah, then Uzziah, then Jotham, who actually served as a regent for Uzziah during the last ten years of his reign. And Jotham was followed by a very evil Ahaz, then by good king Hezekiah, and then by the most wicked Manasseh, who actually began his reign at age twelve, and after a life of wickedness, repented at the end of his life. And then his son Ammon, before the last good good king, the great King Josiah, who reigned, who began his reign at eight years old. Notice how young these children are when they began their reign. Notice how young king, uh, Jotham, for example, uh w- uh, began his reign at age 25. But uh, he, his son who was Ahaz uh, was born when he was about 21. So what does that tell you? Especially since Shatham was actually acting as regent, regent for um, Uzziah for about the last 10 years of his life. He's all caught up with looking after his father looking after the affairs of state. So he doesn't have the time to give to his child that he needs to. As a result, Ahaz becomes one of the wicked, most wicked kings that we have. Same thing happened with um, um, uh, Manasseh. Hezekiah. Um, uh, Manasseh began his reign at age 12. So again, look at what age 12 is. Age 12 is right entering the teenage years when they're most influential, most defiant naturally. So he's going to go against the natural law thing, And it took uh, until the end of his life for him to end uh, God striking him down before he came, came back to repentance. If you'd like a more detailed account of these six good kings and three evil kings during this 200-year period or so, go read Second Chronicles. For, uh, chapters 24 through 35, that's where it came from. Obviously, this passage is far too long for me to read here, so instead I'm going to quote from uh, Weir'sby's expository outlines. So this will give you an overview of what's going on. It doesn't cover all of the kings, but it'll give you an idea of the ones that they have. Joas was a miracle boy because um, his, grand, his evil grandmother, uh, uh, Athaliah had killed all of the siblings and he alone had survived. The future of David's line and messianic promise rested on that little boy. How often in Jewish history Satan tried to kill those that were part of God's plan. Uh, The godly high priest uh, Jehoiada um, protected Joash and then installed him as king. At the same time Jehoiada saw to it that Athaliah and her followers were put out of the way. Though she the, so, the continued spiritual influence, or through the continued spiritual influence of Jehodiah, the king uh, brought about many reforms, especially restoring the temple. And when the high priest died, however, the king made the same mistake that Rehoboam made, listening to worldly counsel. Joash ended up killing uh, Zechariah, son of Jehadiah, instead of heeding the message from the Lord and repenting. Uh, Uzziah. It's also called Azariah. Um, After a long and prosperous reign, he ended up trying to become a priest. Uh, God struck him with leprosy. The the story goes that he already gained all his fame and his power and the wealth as a king, but he wanted more. He wanted the power of the priest. But as we know, the only king priest is Christ himself. So it was a, a major offense to God for him to attempt to usurp the power of the priest. Uh, God helped him, and he went out from victory to victory. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. Overcome by pride, he intruded into the ministry of the priest in the temple, something forbidden by God, and for Jesus Christ is the only king priest that God will accept. Uzziah is a warning for all of us not to become too proud and to seek to get involved in things outside the will of God. Okay. He was um, Hezekiah. He was Hezekiah was one of Judah's greatest kings and the most devoted spiritual leaders. He repaired the temple, restored the true worship of Jehovah on a scale that had not seen before. He called the whole nation Judah, Israel, and Judah to observe the Passover together, and he cleansed the land of idols. You would think that such devotion to the Lord would have kept him safe from problems, but not so. Um, after all that Hezekiah had uh, had so faithfully done. Uh, Shennacherib king of Assyria came and invaded uh, Judah. Uh, obedience sometimes leads to even greater testing but that testing is for our good and for the glory of God. Uh, Josiah uh, and, fo- and, and following. Alright, Manasseh Followed Great King uh, Hezekiah and led the nation into abominable sin. He rebuilt everything evil that his father had destroyed. Destroyed the good things that his father had restored. However, in the later years, and those those bad things included the building of the t- of uh, idols, the building of uh, high places for for people to worship as well. Um, they offered incense to strange God, strange women, etc. However, in his later years, Manasseh uh, did repent, and God forgave him. He was followed by Ammon, who reigned only two years and did even worse than his father did. Then Josiah came to the throne. Uh, If Hezekiah is faulted for his son Manasseh, he must certainly be praised for his grandson Josiah. At the age of 16, Josiah sought the Lord. Uh, uh, Josiah actually came into power at about age 16 seven or eight, I think it was, that the, but he, he was the, under the leadership of a, 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 like, a, like a regent. And um, he be, it, the scripture says he sought the Lord and began to reform when he was about the age of 16. And he w- wanted to reform the nation and to wipe out idolatry. He repaired the temple, restored the book of the law. They actually found the book of the law in the rubble, in the ruins in the temple in the process of doing it. He, too, celebrated a great Passover and sought to lead the people back to the Lord their God. Unfortunately, King Josiah meddled with a war that was not his concern, and he was wounded in battle. It was an ac- It was. a a fluke arrow from an archer's bow. It wasn't directly intended at him. It was just shot into the air, and it happened to hit the king. He was meddling in a war that was not his concern. And he was wounded in battle. He went home to Jerusalem to die. His pride had gotten the best of him, and he thought he could defeat the king of Egypt. After Josiah's death, the kings of Judah were all weaklings. They were mere puppets in the hand of politicians in Jerusalem or the nations around Judah. The last king was Zedekiah, and then the nation fell into Babylon in captivity in 586 B.C. What a history. What a history. The extension of the curse to the third and fourth generation is no great mystery. Rather, it is the natural consequence of child learning from the parents who break God's law. The most important job in life is that of rearing good children, but it's not easy and parents I don't envy your task especially in today's technological materialistic society not only must you teach them God's way but you must also model that way of life before them for they learn in so many ways and will reflect back to you what you have taught them intentionally or not nurture them with your time your attention your love your wisdom that they might walk in this way and that your family might reap the benefits of perpetual blessings of obedience instead of the curse unto the third and fourth generation.